Lord, um, that we're able to be here today. And we thank you, Lord, that we will see James again in the resurrection or, or beforehand, Lord, when we go to be with you. And we just thank you for his legacy, um, his life that he lived for you and loved you. And Lord, may we have similar like kind of passion that he had to always be in God's house, uh, to want to be with you. And yes, we have your presence wherever we go, that you're, we know you're omnipresent. But we as a body aren't omnipresent, so when we gather together, it's special that we get to come here to worship you, to praise you, and to hear your word preached. And I just pray, Lord, ask for your blessing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we'll get to the announcements really quickly. Uh, while I'm giving the announcements, if you all want to turn to page 162, or not page, hymn number 162 in your hymn books, that'll be our first hymn for today. As you're turning there, I'll go ahead and give the announcements. We have just a couple this morning. Um, the ladies' coffee break is going to be on May 3rd. Um, have a great time of fellowship together. Hear a message from the Bible. That is at 6 p.m., on May 3rd, 6 p.m. May 3rd. The men's breakfast will be on May 4th. Uh, that will be at 9 a.m. Remember, men, this is going to be at Kit Carson's. This will be at Kit Carson's, not here at the church. So that's 9 a.m. Saturday, May 4th. The ladies' retreat. So there is a bulletin now back on the back table, the one for September 26th through the 28th. So we're looking at getting some arrangements for that to finalize those. It's going to be at Pacific Beach. Um, it should be about $100 per person. So, ladies, if you have any questions about that, as it gets closer, we'll have a more finalized number if that variances at all. But if you have any questions about that, you can see Jamie, and she can point you in the right direction about that ladies' retreat. There is going to be a youth activity coming up in May. That is on May 25th. It is the Yucky Mucky. Now, this is something that we've done many times back home uh, at our last church and uh, you guys have not experienced the yucky mucky yet but there's a trophy a very disgusting trophy there are um there are events that the teens will participate in very disgusting events um, so it's usually right up boys alleys not as much up girls alleys which is even more fun to see um, but it'll be pitting one team against the other and uh, we'll see who the yucky, thank you, Lauren, the yucky mucky champion is uh, for this year. And that'll be something we'll do annually to see who's the grossest kids um, every year. That'll be from 1 until 4 p.m. on May 25th. So if you can be there, that would be a great blessing. Um, go ahead and be there for that. And last but certainly not least, don't forget, parents, today is Bible Kid Venture. So right after uh, we get done singing here, we'll dismiss for Bible Kid Venture. And uh, Nicole and I will be teaching that today. All right? So, hymn number 162, hymn number 162, How Firm a Foundation, standing as we sing, as soon as I get there.
us a minute to get there. Judge me, O God, and please my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For thou art the God of my strength. Thy doest, thou cast me off. Thy go, I am mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. I send out my light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me onto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then will I go to the altar of God, unto God, my exceeding joy. Ye upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my continence and my God. So, um, just a real brief breakdown of this psalm. It's... uh, somebody praying to the Lord and he's sad and depressed when he starts his prayer um, but he has faith in God and what he has this issue he doesn't have an answer yet and he's turning over into God's hands and that's as you work through this you'll see that uh, where he mentions it's God's strength and he's asking why haven't you answered my prayer yet and that answer will come in time so um, this prayer starts with a depressed person that's asking for God's grace and God's God's will um, and he doesn't necessarily receive it in the psalm, but he does rejoice because he realizes he's giving it over to God, and he's feeling better about that. So, amen. amen. Thank you for that, Quinn. Hymn number 89 will be next. Hymn number 89 this morning. from sin. Jesus so sweetly abides within. Do you believe that this morning? That you were wondrously saved from sin? Oh precious fountain that saves from sin. I am so glad that I have entered in. Are you glad this morning? Does your countenance show that you're glad? Does do your actions show that you're that you're glad? There Jesus saves me and keeps me clean. Glory to his name. Come to this fountain so rich and sweet. That's you. That's me. That's everybody. That's who we should be inviting to come to this fountain so rich and sweet. Cast the poor soul. That was us at the Savior's plea. Plunge in today and be made complete. Glory to his name. That's why we sing songs in church, ladies and gentlemen, because these songs embody everything that we have seen in our entire lives as believers. The joy, the the wonder, the love that we have for the Lord and that he, by extension, has for us is encapsulated in this song. And that's what we're going to try and sing to him in praise this morning. Standing as we sing, glory to his name, number 89. singing a different tune or the piano player in the ether up here is going way too fast for all of us you know what we have enough people here this morning you guys are singing well enough we don't even need a piano player this morning we're going to sing this starting on verse two to four after we gave the mulligan on the first verse here we're going to sing verses two through four as one big choir together to god's glory here we go on verse two i am so wondrously saved from sin 
Jesus so sweetly abides within, there at the cross where he took me in. Glory to his name, glory to his name, glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied, glory to his name. O precious fountain that saves from sin, I am so glad that I entered in. There Jesus saves me and keeps me clean. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name on the last. Come to this fountain so rich and sweet. Cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge in today and be made complete. Let me hear you now. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Absolutely beautiful singing. I wish you guys could hear from up here. Well, maybe not because then you'd have a pastor next to you. But I wish you guys could hear from up here. I'm just joking. He sounded wonderful. Go ahead and have a seat. At this time, Jay will bring the special. We love you, Pastor. Just a I go. I'm going there to see my father and all my loved ones who've gone before. I'm just going over, over Jordan. I'm just going over home. I know dark clouds will gather around me. I know my way is hard and steep, but beautiful fields rise before me. Where God redeemed my wondrous face. I'm going there to see my mother. She said she'd meet me when I come. I'm just going Jordan, I'm just going over home. I'm just going over Jordan. I'm just going over home. and the guitar just over the last few years and 
really blessed for who the Lord gave me with. And um, one minute the memorial service yesterday said to her, why do the pastors always get the pretty wives? And I don't know, but I know I certainly did. She leaves because she's embarrassed now. <laughs> he actually said, why do the pastors always get the hot wives? That's what he said. <laughs> but I was trying to keep it tame while she was in here. But go ahead and open your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah chapter 4. Um, the ladies' Bible study this Friday um, is at 6 o'clock, and it's going to be at Ellen and Nicole's home um, this time. And so I thought I had their address on my phone, but I didn't. So um, just let us know if you want to go, and um, we'll get you the address. It's just on Washington Court, and it's like a one-minute drive from here, as long as the train doesn't stop in the railroad. Um, otherwise, then it could be a 20-minute drive. Better than that, it's just about a minute away. And so I'll be at Nicole's house, and my wife will be um, doing the Bible study. And then I believe the following month, Nicole will be um, doing the Bible study. And if any of the ladies that, you know, you really you know, feel like you know the Lord um, would uh, be willing, not willing to use you, but that you feel like you have a message from the Lord you'd like to share with the ladies, you know what, talk to my wife, and we could schedule um, you to... Um, do one of the Bible studies. Um, Jeremiah 4, um, 14 says, O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness, that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts lodge within thee? For a voice declareth from Dan, and publisheth affliction from Mount Ephraim. Make ye mention to the nations, behold, Publish against Jerusalem, that watchers come from a far country and give out their voice against the cities of Judah. As keepers of a field are they against her roundabout, because she have been rebellious against me, saith the Lord. Thy way and thy doings have procured these things unto thee. This is thy wickedness, because it is bitter, because it reacheth unto Thine heart. My bowels, my bowels, I am pain at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace, because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Destruction upon destruction is cried, and the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled, and my curtains in a moment. How long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people is foolish, they have not known me. They are sottish children, and they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have um, no knowledge. Jeremiah, prophet, cared so deeply for his people, the people of Israel, and was so pained by their wickedness, that he became known as the weeping prophet. He had a fervent love for the lost. At one point, he almost um, quit the ministry, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but he could not keep himself from proclaiming the word of God. He stayed faithful through persecutions, he relied on God's faithfulness. You know, when we care for people, and you're going to be a person that maybe becomes known, not because you're trying to make yourself known, but people know this person genuinely cares. It's going to come at a cost. In Jeremiah, we see a faithful man of God who was willing to bear the burden of caring for a people who for the most part did not care. People he cared for and did not care. 
You know, there's been different times in the past. I've been with pastor, and sometimes, you know, you feel like you're sharing your heart out, and just people aren't catching on. Sometimes it could feel like, man, are people getting engaged? And sometimes it could just be a pastor's own insecurities, that, you know, the people are growing, they are learning. But sometimes it could be a genuine where it's like, man, is this connecting? And yet so we see sometimes that, you know, what pastors, leaders, or Christian mentors, I'm trying to lead or help someone else, that they care for them. But sometimes it seems like there's no regard for it. We see the Apostle Paul elsewhere wrote to the church at Corinth and said, um, I would more gladly be spent for you. The more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. That by him sometimes confronting their sin and bringing them to the word of God and how they ought to be living and living their life for Christ, that he would be loved less by the people. And we see that with Jeremiah, that he cared for the people so much. But instead of really being seen as caring, People saw him as just this person that just wanted to preach against their sin, someone that wanted to keep them from enjoying their life. We see, you know, at one point in King David's life, he felt that absolutely no one cared for what he was going through. In Psalm 42, 4, he says, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. And so he receded on two sides, two extremes. In Jeremiah's case, he cares for the people. He's concerned for them. He sees how their sin is bringing destruction to their towns and destruction to their families. And he warns them. He wants to blow the trumpet. He wants to bring them back to God and that the blessings of God would be upon their life. And there was no regard for it. And then there was on this other side, this other situation, where David felt like there was nobody that cared for him. That even when he was in refuge, that, you know, it, it, Saul what, was going after him, what, was trying to kill him. And you know what David felt like? No one cared for my soul. No man cared for my soul. Perhaps there's been a time in your life when you felt the same way. That it seemed like no one knew what you were going through and you were struggling. And then how precious it was to you when someone did reach out with a caring heart. And sometimes it's difficult because sometimes people don't know you're going through a struggle. Especially if you keep everything to yourself. You're quiet about it. You just try to bear it on your own. You can't really fault other people for knowing. But there are some people that they just seem like they're gifted it drawing out, like the Bible talks about drawing wisdom out from the wells, from the deep wells, trying to dig it out. And sometimes there's those people with compassion, mercy, and they're able to help get the reserved person to bring it out, and then they're able to be a, um, a help. So I just want to talk about having a heart of compassion this morning. Um, in particular, in one way, a love for the lost. Of all the prophets, there is no doubt that Jeremiah was one who had a great compassion for his people. Again, known as the weeping prophet. When he condemned the sin of the people, he was not doing it in a high, lofty, and mighty, superior way. But he did it with weeping. That he cared for the people. That he had compassion for them. He, saw, he, saw, he was affected by the backsliding and sin that surrounded him. And he did not allow himself to become callous. He cared enough to cry. He cared enough to do something about it. To, to help try to resolve the needs with which he was faced. He had compassion on the people. Anybody familiar with the name Hudson Taylor? Way familiar? Okay, who was he? Go ahead and call out. Who was Hudson Taylor, if you remember? You know, like, okay, you re remember the name, but maybe, okay. Anybody remember any details? Brooke? Absolutely, all right. That happens to me too, Mike, where you know what? I know that name, I've heard it, but 
what was it? Who was it? And sometimes with Hudson Taylor, um, Willem Carey, I get them mixed up on where they were missionaries to. I think one was in India, the other one was in China, and I get them reversed. But um, Hudson Taylor ended up being a missionary to China. But I um, just found this out um, just yesterday. Um, I might, maybe I've read it, heard it before, but it became new again to me yesterday. But that um, his dad... Um, when, 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 when he, before he was even born, his dad had a fascination with the Chinese people and the China dynasties and just was kind of fascinated by the history of it. And he said in one of his prayers one day, he said, Dear God, if you should give us a son, grant that he may work for you in China. It was James Taylor that said that prayer, a British man, again fascinated with the Chinese Empire, kneeling in the back of his chemist shop along his wife. Several months later, Hudson Taylor was born, James Hudson Taylor, and he was immersed in a Methodist family that they liked all things China. And then one day, a young child, Hudson Taylor, blurted out, he goes, when I am a man, I mean to be a missionary and go to China. Though he didn't know of his father's prayer yet at that time. But just because his family enjoyed China. It wasn't his dad said, I'm praying you go to China. There wasn't any of that pressure. It wasn't trying to be a daddy called preacher. But he, pray, he prayed. It was God, if you will, you give me a son, I would, that he would be a missionary to China. Um, and so that was uh, Hudson Taylor when he was young as a child. He said, hey, I want to be a missionary. But then when he was 17, when he got in his teen years, he got into a time of his life where he was restless and rebelling against his family. And his mother was in distraught, wept over her son, locked herself in a room, and was moved to not only pray that Taylor would become a Christian, but that she would stay in the room until she was sure her prayers were being answered. Man, that, that's bravery in prayer. That's believing in prayer and the power of prayer. But having the mentality, Lord, I'm not going to pray until I really feel assured this peace that you've answered this prayer. And she prayed that her rebellious son would become saved, that he would come to know Christ. And so it happens that afternoon, he picked up a gospel track on his way walking somewhere, and it was about the finished work of Christ. And after reading that, he trusted in Jesus Christ. He grew up in a religious family, but he had not yet trusted in Christ himself. And so it began a single-minded life for Christ, devoted to bring in the gospel to the interior of China. He became so convinced that a special organization was needed for the evangelization of inland China to go beyond the five treaty ports. Now, you know, in China, the ports, the missionaries would go there. It would be common, you know, they'd go there, but they would not really go inland. And he was determined not to cut the financial ground from under the feet of any of the older missionary societies, but to figure out some way he would be able to, with the local church, start a missionary organization to help get people into China. Because if we're, sometimes, you know, if they were just coming from a church, it'd be difficult to get in. And you know, there's sometimes this debate among Christian circles, you know, we only need the local church, we don't need missionary societies. But they sometimes misunderstand that oftentimes these missionary societies, they're ran through a local church. It's just they need the missionary society. So in China, it does not appear like this is a church trying to evangelize. Sometimes it's the society. Okay, their, their focus is the gospel, but they're teaching them to be teachers elementary student teachers, high school teachers, to get them in China. And that's how they get in. And so it's church, that's what we want to do. We want 
work smarter. Okay, you know what? If we keep getting rejected, nope, we're closed. They're closed. They're closed. Finding other avenues to get in. And that's what he was convinced of, trying to figure out some way how to do it, not to shortchange the missionaries that are going to the ports, but somehow to be able to get himself inland. And so he began making plans for recruiting 24 missionaries, two for each of the 11 inland provinces of China that were without a missionary, and two for Mongolia. And so we see he had a vision. He had a plan. You know, you could kind of see he had the heart of Jeremiah and that he cared for these people. And this is what he said. He said, can all the Christians of England sit still with folded arms while these multitudes in China are perishing? Perishing for lack of knowledge. For lack of that knowledge which England possesses so richly, which has made England what England is and made us what we are? Question mark. What does the Master teach us? Is it not that if one sheep out of a hundred be lost, we are to leave the ninety and nine and seek the one? But here the proportions are almost reversed. And we stay at home with the one sheep and take no need to the ninety and nine perishing ones. He had a heart for the people. People of China. People that he didn't really know well. He knew of the people from his dad, but he did not know China yet. And he had a heart to get to China And he's like, England is great because of the gospel. And China is struggling because they don't have the gospel. People are perishing. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing. By hearing of the word of God. And China as a whole did not have it. And he had a vision to get the gospel there. And then he did what was not customary for most missionaries in this day, and that he started to wear, dress in Chinese attire. So like, you know, if I'm going to be of the people, and this wasn't in the sense of trying to be immodest or um, to blend in with the world. It wasn't to try to be worldly, but simply a simple adaptation to the culture. Hey, I'm trying to reach the Chinese people. I'm going to, anything that's not against the Bible, I'm going to adapt, wear Chinese clothing. And that helped him be successful in getting the gospel to the Chinese people. But he brings out that, okay, in England, you know what? We won't even leave the one to go rescue the 99 that are perishing. That there's multitudes in China. And sadly today, England as a whole does not know the gospel. Man, England did for a while. Man, they were, that was where the gospel preachers were coming from. That's where they came from America. They came from England. But now it's a preacher's graveyard. Now the churches are historical monuments, and that's it. People go, they want to see the legacy, but the legacy is not continuing on. Go ahead and... Or we see in Jeremiah 4, again in 18, My bowels, my bowels, I am pain in my very heart. My heart make of a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace, because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. And um, verse 8, Thy way and thy doings have procured these things unto thee. This is thy wickedness, because it's bitter, because it reacheth unto thine heart. And so he talks about him being pain at his heart. It makes a noise within him. And you know what? Our eyes are affected by, uh, or, or our heart is affected by our eyes. What we see and consider affects how we feel. Go ahead and turn your Lamentations. When I said Lamentations, I was... Turning to Leviticus. <laughs> so I've been preaching. Lamentations 3. 
in verse 51. It says, Mine eye affected mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. Mine eye affected mine heart. You know what? Sometimes we need to just go and see things. You know, I've heard one missionary say before, man, instead of people wasting their money on a missions trip, it'd be better just to raise money to give to missionaries. And then another missionary say, no, that's foolish thinking. Yeah, sure, we could do a lot with the money that's sent, but it does not replace people coming over here, seeing it with their eyes, being moved with compassion, and then going back and maybe even sensing the call of God on their life to be a missionary, or at the very least to be one to be involved in missions and giving new missions. So he's like, no, rather than just sending money, bring the people. Let them see the need. The eye affects the heart. When we have missionaries come, the reason we'll show a video presentation is so you can see the people. Hopefully it affects the heart. We're not trying to manipulate, but we are trying to affect you. We want to see the message of the gospel to um, have an effect on us and see the need. We see in Matthew 9.36, when Jesus saw the multitudes, it says, He was moved with compassion. And these were, by and large, people that did not continue to follow Him later. They followed Him because they wanted to be fed. But when he started saying, I am the bread of heaven, they're like, okay, well, we can't eat that. And so they left. And so Jeremiah's heart was pained so much that he felt physical pain over the sin of others and the lostness of others. And ask yourself, when was the last time our heart has been broken over the sin of another? It's easy. To get where, okay, you know what, we're looking down, we're condemning someone because of their sin. And sure enough, sure, condemn the sin. But let your heart be grieved for the person. You know, when we've had people several years ago uh, where they'd leave the church, they'd be bitter at me for really no reason. My heart was out to them, try to reach out to them, love them. And, 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 and then they leave and they tear me to shreds. They tear me to shreds on social media. Um, they tear our church to shreds on social media. You know what? My attitude, if it's of, oh, how dare they? Man, I just hope God squashes them. I hope God punishes them. You know, my heart would not be right. We're to be moved with compassion. To love people. That, that even as even they're t- tearing us to shreds, and that's not happening currently, I'm saying, you know, in, in times past. And what if it is, I just don't see it. Maybe you see it, okay? But um, we should be moved, should be cared for them. So often you see that, see things where something like that happens, and bad things happen in their life, and sometimes that is possibly the judgment of God. But I'm not going to get up on Sunday and just go up and say, man, these people are being judged. Watch out for what they did. Don't do it likewise. Okay, that's not going to be the attitude. Now, there could be a general warning. Go, hey, you know what? Watch out. You know what? When we're sinning against God, you know what? Things could happen. But when you see it, leave the chastisement to God. And we be the avenues of mercy. We show the grace. God's being gracious. God's being merciful. That's why he needs to chasten the sin. And then he used, he used the church body to try to bring restoration. Yes, the Bible says, you know what, cast out the wicked one. You know, when there's unrepentant sin, you can't let it continue to go on in the church. You want the church to be pure. We see Israel was affected by Achan that was hiding the sin under his tent. And they didn't even know about it. But once they became aware... God said, you know what, this needed to be judged, this needed to be punished. But so there is a time where someone is cast out or put on church discipline, but it's one, for the purity of the body, but two, for them to see that, you know what, outside of this fellowship, 
You're, you're missing something. Repent. Come back. You know, we, we want to be there for you, but we can't let open sin be dominating in the church. Yes, we're all with sin. Yes, there is none without sin. But we don't use that as an excuse to condone sin. Jeremiah was moved. He was grieved for the people. He called out their sin. You read his messages. He preached hard. There were times when it was fire and brimstone. Okay, This wasn't any Joe Osteen type of church. This was preaching. This was hardcore preaching. But the heart, the motive wasn't to kick them. It was to draw them to repentance. To teach them. You know, the goodness of God is great. It's manifold. Come to God. Go ahead and turn to Jeremiah 20. Jeremiah 20 and verse 9. No, verse 8. Or verse 7. Okay. I don't know why I always do that. I'm like, why didn't I just say that verse beforehand when I was writing my message? <laughs> o Lord, Thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mock of me. For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in, was in mine heart. It's a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. And so here we see with Jeremiah that he sees he's the mockery. He's the laughingstock. He's the one that people mock. He's the one that people deride. He's the one that the political leaders speak ill of. Not because his testimony was bad, but they hated, they despised the message that was preached. And he got a point where he was tired of it. I hate being the one where I need to call out the nation's sins. When I need to go up even to an individual and say, no, you're not doing right. You know, this is going to affect your family. This has the potential to devastate and destroy your family. And then all of a sudden, that person doesn't like them. They mock them. They talk bad about them in the streets. And he didn't like being that person anymore. That he's trying to help. He's trying to care. But he's the one that's always being tossed to the side. And so he gets to a point where I'm no longer going to mention your name. I'm no longer going to proclaim the word. I'm done. And you know, you do see some preachers do that today, where they're like, I'm done. Or you know what, I, instead of preaching the word, maybe I'll give a... Some of the nice flowery message in there, but I'm going to totally compromise because I want the people to like me rather than to be mad at me when I preach a hard message. You see that kind of compromise all the time. All denominations, okay? It's not just one group. All over the place, you see that kind of stuff happening. But we see Jeremiah having been the child of God and been close, been in the Word of God, that, you know what, the Word in his heart, it was like a fire in his bones that he couldn't stop. He's like, I have to. I'm compelled. The Word of God is just a fire in my bones and I could not stay. He could not be shut up. He had to keep doing it, even though he didn't want to be the person mocked all the time. Even though he didn't want to be the person that the congregation of Israel despised. He could not help himself but proclaim the word when he wanted to quit. God's word inspired him and forced him into action. Contrary to what he was going to do in the midst of his discouragement. And we need to let God's word work in us and through us. If we allow God's word to work in us, it will also affect those around us. Go ahead and turn to Jeremiah 42. We see that he was loyal to the Lord. 
In verse 4 it says, Then Jeremiah the prophet said unto them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray unto the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall come to pass that whatsoever thing the Lord shall answer you, I will declare it unto you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, The Lord be a true and faithful witness between us, if we do not even according to all things, for to which the Lord thy God shall send thee to us. You know what the mentality of the people are like? Hey, you know, if his words are going to be against us, we are not for it. You know, if we, they, they, wanted, they had itchineers, but Jeremiah said, what the Lord answers, what God says, that's what I am going to teach. That is what I'm going to preach. What God says. And so he was faithful to the Lord in his declarations. He desired to speak only that which the Lord told him to speak, whether his crowd was small or large. Micaiah, in 1 Kings twenty-two fourteen, 14, a prophet likewise says, It's the Lord liveth. What the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. And Ahab or Jeroboam, one of the guys, or yeah, it was both of them were involved. And um, Ahab, or Jeroboam asked, you know what, he goes, you know what, you get some prophets, get prophets of the Lord. And then there's hundreds of prophets that Ahab brings. And then it goes something like this, is there a prophet besides? Is there another prophet? Like, for some reason, now it's just me paraphrasing, okay, this isn't exactly what it says, but basically it's saying that, is there... Is there a man of God? These 400 prophets or these other prophets, these are not men of God. I know these aren't prophets of the Lord. Is there anyone? Is there a true prophet? And Ahab says, yes, there is one man, and I hate him because he doesn't prophesy good concerning me. And he says, is it not so? Bring him. But he hated Micaiah, Because Micaiah said what the Lord said. What God has said is what he prophesied. We see the Paul telling the churches in Ephesus um, in Acts 20, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He wasn't just going to give the butterfly encouraging, inspiring messages. That there were times when there was correction needed. That there were even times when rebuke was needed. I mean, one thing I love about James, um, who we just had a celebration live service for, was he loved those powerful ones. He loved those hard ones. He loved those ones that were rebuking. He must have been sinless because it didn't affect him. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But, but he, was a, he was too bad Jeremiah didn't have one of those. But he was encouraging during those messages where, psh, man, we're just going to tell it straight. Not saying it to be mean, not saying it to stop people. And you know what, that's sometimes, you know what, what has been sometimes been done wrong, you know, in independent Baptist circles, and sometimes why people have gotten a bad taste, is because sometimes the Word of God is preached, but it's done in a way simply to condemn. That it's not done out of a heart of compassion. Now, it doesn't mean that every time a message is preached that there's going to be crying involved, that there's going to be weeping. Okay, there's somebody you know there's a call a command. And I think I've seen this shift um, as a whole where there's less of the legalistic stuff and more of just being faithful, you know, uh, preaching the word of God with a genuine heart, with people that are caring. And again, we mentioned in Sunday school that sometimes, you know what, uh, those were around, the type of churches we're in. We see the weaknesses, we see the flaws, because that's what we're a part of. And sometimes we think it's greener on the other side. But it's often not. It, it, it's not. You know what? The other groups, they have their sin too. Why? Because every group, they're filled with sinners. Had a pastor friend. I mentioned this Sunday school, so I won't be long. But he started to hang out with some other denominational groups, thinking independent Baptists are all of one stripe, legalistic, and kind of like cultist personality-type cults. 
And there's been some of that, okay? There's been some of that in, in the history of independent Baptists. Um, but and I told him, I go, we're not even associated with them. So you keep condemning that and stuff, and you're acting like that's us. Yes, they have the name independent Baptist because we're independent churches. But that's not us. So instead of being so focused on what they are, let's be focused on who we are in Christ. Yes, they may not be gracious. Maybe they're always condemned, or maybe they're just trying to say something controversial just again, amen. Okay, where that's not to be our heart. We ought, we ought to be willing to say controversial stuff. But you start getting involved in another group, reform group in particular, following Vision Forum, Doug Phillips, following all these other guys, and, and thinking, man, these are the greatest guys. These people are better. And then within a year, fell through sexual immorality. Another set scandal, another leader. And man, I was kind of feeling for him because he criticized some of the, it wasn't the sexual things, it was just the attitude type things. You know, the pride, the arrogance um, that he was criticizing. But then, boom, go over there, and the people he was following started to fall. And now I wasn't over here like, yeah, look at that, look at that. Those people fell. Oh, I was grieving for him that he, he's seeing now his new leaders fall, but kind of brought out to light. It's not greener on the other side. There are sinners no matter what church they're in. That's why we need Jesus. He's the one that helps us to live victoriously. And that's why, yes, you know what Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And you know, I hope you as a church follow me as I follow Christ. You know, it'd be hard to pastor a church when there's no unity. You know, it's difficult. It, It doesn't work. But if I'm no longer following Christ, keep your eyes on the Lord. If I fall, and pray, pray with me. Pray that's not a prophecy, okay? That I'm not prophesying of a fall, okay? But if I was to, keep your eyes on Jesus. Yes, hopefully you would grieve like, oh man, you know what, that was my pastor. You grieve over that sin. But... And pray for me, you know, pray for pray for the hags of protection, you know, as the Bible speaks of, and, and then I'm um, just pray for that. Uplift me in prayer. We see Moses had victory when he had Aaron and Hur lifting up his arms. And when they weren't there, the enemy was destroying within. But we understand that there are sinners in every church. And we're to preach the word of God, preach the truth of God's word with a heart of compassion, with grace, with mercy, and that means we don't hold back. Some believe to show grace and mercy, you don't deal with the controversial stuff. The stuff that aren't popular, don't deal with those. No, I swear God calls them, they, they prophesy lies. They prophesy that Jerusalem, peace is coming. It's going to be joy. It's going to be celebrations. When God had already warned the prophets, say, no, destruction's coming because of their sin. And then the other prophets say, oh, we don't want to prophesy that. We want to speak smooth things. But then what happened? Destruction happened. So the merciful preacher was the one that was willing to preach it, what it says, what God's word says. Paul also said, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Kind of like Jeremiah's heart. Man. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Go ahead and turn to Jeremiah 38. Saying in one book for the most part. I mean, so now when you turn too far. Jeremiah 38, 6. No, well, you're turning there. I'm praying for Ron. He's a guy that's been visiting, been in the front. Um, I, I thought he was going to be here today, but he, ju- he just got a job um, in his story. I said, praise the Lord. I said, answer a prayer request. I said, man, praise the Lord, but man, bum won't be seeing you here. But he asked for um, a church recommendation there. And there's a new church plant being there, so I told him about that. But he wanted to be here to say goodbye, but he might have got moved um, sooner than he was um, thinking he was. But praise God, he got a job. Amen. Jeremiah 38, 6. 
Then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malachiah, the son of Hamelech, that was in the court of the prison. And they let down Jeremiah with cords. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. Man. It's a dungeon. He has ropes tied upon him. He's let down. And just mire. Feces. Dirt. Filth. And this is what he gets for being a faithful preacher of the word. But he was faithful even in tribulations. Christ's strength is sufficient in a miserable situation. A house church in the former Soviet Union had to meet in church, uh, meet in secret, to avoid retaliation from the communist government. One Sunday, these believers arrive inconspicuously in small groups throughout the day so as not to arouse the suspicion of those that would, the KGB informers, those that would rat people out. And say, hey, there's believers here. There's people that believe in Jesus here. And then the Russia would come in and destroy it. Destroy the people. By dusk, they were all safely inside, windows closed and doors locked. They began by singing a hymn quietly. So while we sit, try to say, sing out loud, they're singing quietly. But yet there was a passion even in quiet. It was with deep emotion. And suddenly the door was pushed open and walked in two soldiers with loaded automatic weapons. One shouted, All right, everybody, line up against the wall. If you wish to renounce your commitment to Jesus Christ, leave now. Two or three quickly left, then another After a few more seconds, two more. And then the soldier says, this is your last chance. Either turn against your faith in Christ or stay and suffer the consequences. Another left. Finally, two more in embarrassed silence with their faces covered slip out into the night. No one else moved. The majority did not move. Parents with small children trembling beside them looked down, trying to reassure their children. They fully expected to be gunned down or at best be in prison. After a few moments of complete silence, the other soldier closed the door, looked back at those who stood against the wall, and said, Keep your hands up, but this time in praise to our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. We too are Christians. We were sent to another house church several weeks ago to arrest a group of believers. And then the older, other soldier interrupted, but instead we were converted. We have learned by experience, however, that unless people are willing to die for their faith, they cannot be fully trusted. And so they were trying to help get the people that were trying to spy on them out of the place. But man, how fearful that would have been. Man, some gunman just coming in here, telling us that. But here was believers, and here we see through these trials, these tribulations, these believers stayed. And man, how good it must have been for then the Christians to have soldiers that were really Christians. You often see a message or theme in people's lives in the Bible. For John the Baptist, it was the coming of the Messiah, making straight his paths. Um, For the Apostle Paul, it was the gospel of the risen Savior. For Jeremiah, his constant theme is the mercy and faithfulness of God. Go ahead and turn again to Lamentations. Chapter 3, in verse 21. 
said, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Well, it would be been easy to give up on them because of their sin, all their wrongdoing. He prayed, he wept. He encouraged his countrymen to come back to God and spoke of how great the mercy of God was. That great is thy faithfulness. Thomas Paine wrote during the American Revolution about the summer soldiers and sunshine patriots, as he would call them, who would draw back from serving their country in a time of crisis. But this was not the case with Jeremiah. He was faithful in times of hardship, hunger, imprisonment. He was dependent upon God's faithfulness, which enabled him to be faithful. I just want to ask you this morning, as John comes to play a song of invitation, to give time of prayer, to search your own heart. Examine your heart. And you go ahead and play as soon as you get there while I'm speaking. But examine your heart. Do you have a compassion for the loss? Does your life show a compassion for those that don't know Christ? I'm not accusing. Just asking you to examine your heart. And examine in my heart, I know I do not show it enough. I fall short. Search your heart. Do you care about the Christian that is ruining his life due to sin? Are you brokenhearted about it? Not just condemning. Do you have a heart that will be faithful to the Lord no matter how hard things get for you? Jeremiah influenced lives through his compassion and others for faithfulness to the Lord. Jude 22 says, And of some have compassion, making a difference. We're going to make a difference in this community and without. We must be a people of compassion. Make a difference. As he continues to play, he's going to give you some time to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercy. Your mercy is greater than ours would ever be. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your word that it's by thine word thy servant is worn. Help us, Lord, to be moved to compassion for people, for both the lost and for the Christian that's hurting their life and hurting those around them because of their sin. Help us to be bridge builders, mercy builders. Help us to be people that will be a good reflection of Jesus to them. In Jesus' name, amen. So just one more reminder, ladies, um, ladies Bible study this Friday, 6 o'clock in Nicole's house. Ask Nicole or my wife for the address.
Okay, there'll be child care there as well. Oh, it's going to be at the church. Okay, so child care will be at the church. And, and then so um, you come and then go to Nicole's house and have a Bible study. And then men's breakfast is also going to be on Saturday. Um, it'll be Saturday at 9 o'clock. And instead of meeting at the church, um, we'll be having men's breakfast at Kit Carson. And so be there at 9 o'clock and um, have um, some good time of fellowship. Amen. God bless you. Shake hands, fellowship, be friendly.